ladies and gentlemen, it's Dave Neal, stand-up comic host of Bachelor Nation News. Friday, baby. It is April 28th, 2023. Let's jump right into this episode of the one, the only, the daily afternoon grind, Bachelor Rush Hour. Come on now. jobs today <laughs> anyone out there you get that bonus you're hanging out well as you guys know i am in new england maybe you didn't know it's my birthday on monday so i decided to fly home to visit my family gonna go to a red sox game kid uh gonna eat some clam chowder son gonna hang out with some nieces and nephews but we actually have a fantastic show for you today as you guys know, I interviewed Jeremy Hartwell and Nick Thompson regarding their new foundation, You Can Foundation. It's an advocacy group for reality TV stars or those that want to get into reality TV. It's about fighting for mental health awareness. It's about um, not subjecting the contestants to unruly conditions on a show where they have no control. And in order to uh, sort of better understand a lot of the problems that are out there, we wanted to have a chat with Dr. Isabel Morley. She's working hand-in-hand with the foundation and has a lot to say about uh, the treatment of reality stars on reality TV. Without further ado, please enjoy this interview. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so excited today to talk to Dr. Isabel Morley. She's a couples therapist and working with the UCAN Foundation, sort of exposing some of the bad practices happening at Love is Blind. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, As you know, we interviewed Nick Thompson and Jeremy um, and a ton of people uh, loved the conversation and didn't have any idea that this was the type of uh, thing happening on Love is Blind, the sleep deprivation, the not providing food or water and all these things. Were you aware of this going in or when did you become aware of the bad conditions? You know what? Relatively recently, to be quite honest, because I haven't watched a ton of reality television in my life, and I got into it with Love is Blind and started writing for Psychology Today about reality TV and this show in particular, which like looped me into the reality TV world, and that is when I realized how abusive and how problematic it all is. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I do this nice long interview with Nick and Jeremy. He, they discuss how he lost 15 pounds because he didn't have access to water. And immediately the comment section, well, you couldn't drink out of the taps, not realizing they're in like an Ikea showroom with the taps, the water, there's no plumbing there. So what's keeping audiences from having empathy for these contestants? Because we always hear that, oh, you signed up for it. But like, it, like how, what, what, what has to happen for people to relate to them? I think we have a really hard time accepting that we don't have total control over our decisions and the idea that we're actually very easily influenced and that we will obey authority figures in almost any situation as a species. We really dislike that fact. So I think we all cling to the idea of if I was in that situation, I would just leave. I would just get out. I would say no, even though chances are you wouldn't. Yeah, that's it. It's so easy to think we'll know what to do in a certain situation. But as is proven from hidden camera shows and other reality shows where like, you know, the Truman style reality shows, you're we're all easily manipulated, especially if the conditions of like our normalcy are taken away, the cell phones, water, things like that. Do you see this in your private practice where um, 
relationships are suffering because, say, they're overworked, the, the husband or wife or whoever it is are overworked or, you know, like, do those issues come up in, in your actual practice or is this unique to the reality TV? I think the issues that we're seeing there are, are such a grander scale of coercion and manipulation and deprivation of basic human rights that although I see many problems in my private practice with relationships, it's just not at this scale and it's not as, um, I don't know if the right word, but like there's the same malintent as there is with this. Yeah, it's so funny, right? Because the show on the one end will have success if it has healthy relationships thrive, and yet it constantly wants to put them into situations that, I mean, is there any, I mean, there's no real like evidence here, but like, what, like, do you think there's, to give them the benefit of the doubt, is there a thought process that they're just trying to speed up these relationships? Like what, what could possibly be in their defense? Yeah, I've thought a lot about that. I mean, they say that it's a psychological, social experiment. And I think what they're getting at is that relationships need an, uh, a foundation, emotional connection for them to thrive. That it can't just be based on appearances because appearances fade or they change or we're attracted to many people in our lives. That can't be the only foundation for a marriage. What we do need is an emotional connection that's sustainable and meaningful. So they're trying to foster that with people by taking away all the other distractions and all the visual cues. That part I have no problem with. I find that fascinating. It's the other conditions of the show that, I mean, I would argue are actually working against people finding or sustaining a happy marriage because they they do everything they can to tear apart the foundation that they help people create. So to me, it just doesn't make any sense from a psychological perspective. Yeah. And I guess also we've got several things at play. You've got the psychological issues that Kinetic, the production company is doing. And again, you could probably say the same thing for Bachelor and other reality shows we cover. And then there's the the psychological issues of of sleep deprivation and other you know not feeding them uh, that leads to them being hangry or uh, reacting in ways that might not be their normal reaction and then it's multiplied when the audience sees it because the audience just thinks they're watching reality like rea- it shouldn't even be called reality TV like what. So, so then they, so then they need almost therapy afterwards. Um, it seems to be, it, I mean, this should, this should be keeping uh, you therapists pretty busy. Oh, you would think so. But I got to tell you, I don't know if a lot of these people are either able to seek therapy because of a resource issue, or, I mean, a lot of them are afraid. They've been threatened by different producers that they shouldn't say anything. Um, there's a real sense of like other people are okay with it. So I have to be okay with it. And then as more and more has come out about how they're treated and the impact, people are fearing braver and braver to say, like, this was terrible. What I went through was awful. I need help. But, you know, these shows, Love is Blind, no matter what they claim, they don't pay for therapy. They don't cover any of that support. So some people are just left in the lurch with it. And I think it's fair to assume that companies will do the bare minimum for the most part. And it requires people speaking out like the, like you guys are all doing. Now, we covered this in the last video, but You Can Foundation is the unscripted cast advocacy network. How did you get involved? Uh, you're the head therapist there? Yeah, I'm director of mental health support there. Oh, that sounds better mm-hmm. than head therapist. <laughs> How did you find them? How did they find you? It was after I wrote an article on Psychology Today about Love is Blind, about concerning emotional abuse I saw occurring between contestants and how I was um, shocked and incredibly upset that producers did nothing to step in, to stop the abuse, to support people, to educate the viewers watching it. 
And um, that article took off. And from there, Jeremy actually found me and reached out to me because he wanted to begin this foundation and wanted there to be um, better awareness about the struggles that reality TV contestants go through. And so here I am. Well, you're doing great work. And, you know, we've seen this before with Bachelor where the contracts they sign kind of prevent them from uh, speaking out against the production company. So what ends up happening is a lot of times the only person they can speak out against is their partner or ex-partner. So it really leads to just this infighting when you're when we're not dealing with the actual beast here, which is the production company. And I know um, Jeremy has been very vocal on his Instagram saying, hey, Kinetic, you got my number. I know, I know you know we're doing this. And they've kind of just been on the defensive. You made a reel properly explaining them how to apologize. I loved that. Could you uh, sort of paraphrase the proper way to maybe seek um, in, an apology from them or what they should should be doing versus what they are? Absolutely. I mean, their response has been either crickets, which is their go-to move, or more recently, you know, sort of like uh, these bits and pieces of, oh, we provide support or we care about your mental health. What I'm looking for, what a real apology is, accountability, acknowledging that you did something wrong, that you did actually do the thing that people are saying that you did, um, recognizing that it had a, a significant impact on people, being remorseful about that fact, like actually feeling bad and guilty about it, which would require them to feel bad and guilty, which I hope that they do and would. Um, an apology, a sincere apology that is meaningful, and then uh, how they're going to change. And we haven't heard any of those pieces yet. Yeah. And a lot of people just want to be recognized when it comes to any fights, like in a relationship, uh, you, you just want your partner to understand, I'm not crazy. This is why I feel this way. But also we can be very defensive and we will be back right after a word from our sponsors. So what happens on the show is the defensiveness gets ramped up because the stakes are so much higher. At least in a private conversation with your husband and wife or with a therapist, you can leave the room coming to an agreement or whatever. Uh, but it seems that this show makes it even harder to um, seek mutual ground when the reunion is is like labeled as them some like dramatic, you know, slamming of each other. Uh, so do you? Do you it, it just I guess it, it begs the question: like, do you treat the show with the same tools that you treat couples in your private practice? I mean, apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> I think that couples who come into my private practice for the most part really genuinely want to work on things and get onto good terms. And I think that in this case, we don't have somebody who wants to do that work and get onto good terms. Like they're much more concerned about keeping their viewership up and making their millions. And there's not any interest in recognizing harm done or working to fix it as far as we've seen. And I'm hoping that will change. And, and I, and I can understand companies, you know, f for like litigious reasons, not wanting to admit fault in certain ways, but it's like, look, let's just move forward in the right direction. Obviously there's lawsuits that are out there already because you know, what, it, what is done is done. Um, but I have a question. Do you, and I, generalizing usually doesn't work well, but as a comedian, we like to generalize, but it feels like the audience that enjoys this type of content really likes to watch shit burn. Is there a psychological thing you're noticing with these audiences? And it's not everybody, but it's the people that want to comment and tell you how they feel. I see it on American Idol too. These commenters, they're just insane. I don't want, I don't, I don't have a clinical diagnosis for them, but are you noticing any trends with people? Is it a loneliness? Is it a, you know, being a part of a community? 
I think it's being part of a community. Uh, I think probably more than anything, it's feeling better about yourself. It's a chance to bring somebody else down, somebody who's putting themselves out there and being vulnerable and showing a skill or trying something and being able to feel better than them by tearing them apart. Like, I think it's probably a... A self-esteem compensation is what people are doing. Yeah, it's so it's just so tribal. It's like I, I'll see these posts being like, "Do we like Micah?" And it's like, "Who make a decision on your own?" I don't know. It just becomes very much like, "Who's the villain? Who's the bad guy? Who's the good guy?" I I mean, I was the, I was getting just roasted not for defending Jackie, but for just saying you don't even know what went down. Like, yeah, she could have some problematic behavior, but like let's don't don't remember the old like don't throw rocks in glass houses thing like that doesn't apply to commenters anymore maybe because it's their anonymity how do we overcome that oh i don't know because it is a really i mean the internet is a cruel cruel world and um i'm working on actually an article about this right now but part of it is productive that in society like we correct people's behavior because we have a set of norms and expectations we want people to fall into. Like you can't kill somebody. Then we punish you and correct that behavior. It's not okay. So we're trying to do that with reality TV people, except that we have no idea what they've actually done or not done. And we're not judge and jury. We don't live in little communities where we have to do that anymore, but the instinct is still very much there. And it's, it's incredibly hard to stamp out. And so this circles back to like when production says to the their you know audience be nice to our cast members you know remember that it's edited that's them kind of shirking responsibility and putting it on the viewers to behave and be nicer which they may or may not when really it's like it's their editing it's what they're doing to people that's the real problem yeah it, it's it's like um it's like going to the zoo but the, the you want to see an authentic portrayal of what the animals would be doing, not just, uh, maybe that's a terrible analogy, but they're not creating the environment that would portray what is actually happening here. And I think it's simple as like a caged rat who's going to act out or I have the nicest dog in the world. I got this fluffy little basset hound. But if you approach him while he's trying to eat dinner, he's going to try to bite your hand off. And that's mm-hmm. primal. And that's how it works. But very interesting. Um, like you said, we we have these instincts to shame others and maybe it's just it's just like the wrecking ball always swings too far because the audience there is so outnumbers the contestants like if Marshall had said things 12 years ago that's that's unfortunate and he should address it and apologize and I think that's fine and I you know but at the same time I think anyone who hasn't been publicly shamed doesn't understand the feeling of feeling ostracized from the community that you just want to be a part of and that it seems to be too much shame for me yes it's absolutely too much shame um because he can't correct that behavior. And he didn't, you know, the people who are commenting online weren't personally wronged by him. Like they're not the ones who have to correct it. So it's okay to sort of acknowledge like the bounds of acceptable human behavior, but they go so beyond that. They go into like, you should, you know, hate yourself because of something that you've done, which is, that's a step too far. Like we don't really want people to hate themselves for things that they've done. We want them to recognize it and take accountability and change. But again, like that's not really 
our place to be doing that. Yeah, that's that's where it comes. It feels so performative sometimes. It's like North Korea, right? When the dictator dies and everyone has to cry the loudest or else, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, is this even reality that like, he, that Marshall's first apology wasn't enough for, like you said, these people that were not affected by it, that there needs to be another one that goes deeper. We see it all the time in the Bachelor world and I report on it, but I say, Cal- calm down, folks. Like, let's, you know, everyone's trying their best. Um, and I don't know if this is... Uh, work for a psychologist or what, but there are just, it's almost like everyone that we've seen in bachelor world in love is blind. They get their spirit burnt down. And then a year or two later, they come back a little hardened. And I don't know if that's healthy. (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that we have to burn people to the ground for our entertainment, right? Like this is back to the gladiator age. What's happening? Um, yeah, people do seem to have to go through this uh, public flogging that they submit themselves to in order to stop all the negativity towards them, which is just so upsetting, so abusive. Like We just don't have to do this to people. Yeah, you know, comics are really good at utilizing shame in a healthy way. If a, if a stand-up comedian steals a bit, other comics will shame them. There's nothing illegal about using other people's words, but it's like, you know if something's stolen or not, and then we have a, like a very democratic way of dealing with it, but we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of people leaving comments, and, and it spills over to their moms, Instagrams, people reach out to their businesses. I mean, we've seen, we've seen just the worst of it, and yet I think people, they grab their lunchbox at the end of the day and walk home thinking I did a good thing today. And it just doesn't seem like this is productive moving forward. Like, shouldn't we all want a society moving forward where we understand each other and communicate and give each other the benefit of the doubt? I mean, do you, you probably seen healthy relationships and toxic ones, but is there something that you look for when you're seeing a couple, um, communicate at first that leads you to know if the relationship's going to have the longevity or not? Well, there's research on this, so I can say yes, but it's not because I have uh, a great intuition, but because there's research showing. There's, um, according to the Gottman Institute, there's four predictors of divorce, and the worst one of all is contempt, which is that you just are like, disgusted and feel better than your partner. Like, you just have no affection. You don't see them as an equal. That's really hard to override. In a more general sense, I think couples who um, who are incredibly cruel to each other, who engage in abuse, it's like pretty longstanding, and there's no recognition that the way they're treating each other is bad, they don't have a great shot. I mean, I could have people who treat each other incredibly poorly and engage in emotional abuse, but they know that it's not good and they feel badly about it and they want to change. You could do something with that. Um, I think the other couples when I, I get worried that there's not a chance is when repair isn't possible. And this circles back to people demanding apology after apology from reality TV star. Like if you won't let somebody take accountability and apologize, if that's not enough for you, there's nothing more that that relationship can do to survive. Like you have to be able to let people make mistakes and then move on from them. Yeah. And also we have this, we have this thing in society where it's not just an apology we want, it's how fast they can apologize. And I just think we need, I think grace can, it can be about creating space and time to figure out what you did wrong, right? Because immediately 
we just get defensive if we're called out for stuff immediately. And it's like, all right, well, we have to move past that. And I'm sure in a couple, uh, you know, when, you know, my wife and I, we, I think we've moved to healthy conversations, but I still have to remember not to immediately react in defensiveness because like pride is a real powerful thing that we all have. And it's probably working against us in most cases. Um, but it seems, it seems like with the show, there are so many moving parts to the different issues that can affect these relationships that it's no wonder once in the real world, a lot of the relationships don't work out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they were created under these uh, unusual circumstances with incredible pressures. And there's for most of these shows, no one helping them navigate how to step back from defensiveness when you're in an argument with somebody and build these skills and this foundation. And so then you just, push them out into the real world with no help and support. And of course people respond in ways that are helpful or not. We've already pushed them farther along in their relationship than they should be. So they've got no choice, but to break up divorce or stay together. Whereas like, yeah, it takes time to learn how to navigate conflict and step back from defensiveness. And I always joke with my couples that like to this day, I'm a couples therapist. I do this for a living. Sometimes the best that I can do in a fight with my husband is to tell him like, I'm feeling so defensive. I won't listen to you. We can't do this right now. And that's still a win. That's still a good thing. You know, we've got a lot of therapists in our community and I love hearing their stories because I feel like we're all messy and it's easy to look at someone else's problems, but it can be very hard to look at our own. And I'm as guilty as anyone with that. Um, Yeah, the show. So if Kinetic production company uh, who produces Love is Blind, if they gave you their Amex black card to do whatever you need to do to clean up the mental health issues, what would you do? Oh, I mean, if I had an unlimited budget, I would have an independent psychologist on set, ideally for every contestant, which they can certainly afford. If they did psych evaluations, they would be confidential and they would not use it against contestants, manipulate them or avoid their weaknesses what else would I do? Yeah, right. Because you do have to worry. Yeah, you do have to worry if you're talking. I've said this before. It's like when you talk to human resources at your company, they're paid to protect the company. They are not your friend. uh, And it seems like if the if the love is blind has a therapist for you, how can you trust? I mean, you know what we, you know what the contracts say about uh, whatever, like the uh, confidentiality agreements and things like that. I would, I would for sure. We've seen with contestants saying they hid in closets because they didn't know if their room was bugged. It's happened for years on The Bachelor, where they have to put in their contracts now to not have their rooms mic'd or bugged and things like that because people were worried about that. Because we do come from that that new world of reality TV where. Uh, kind of anything went when it started with these contracts are, you know, you, you probably have a full legal team uh, at Love is Blind. And then on the contestant side, it's just somebody skimming through the contract, getting overwhelmed by all the pages and words. And um, that's not to me, that shouldn't be a fair contract because it's not signed with all of, you know, it's just not like an equal exchange of goods and services. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My cousin was on MTV Real World back in the day nice. and did a bunch of challenges. And so I've talked to her about her experience and, you know, she'll say it was hard, right? Like there's parts of it that are just difficult to be on reality TV and film, but that it was a competition with the challenges she did. So she knew it was going to be difficult, but that they were treated better than what it sounds like current reality TV dating show contestants are treated as. So while I think 
their legal teams have gotten better and they've figured out the boundaries they can push with where to mic and those sorts of things. The sort of uh, subtle psychological manipulation tactics have gotten way worse. Yeah, you know, so Blake Horstman on on Bachelorette was edited in a way to like sort of be soft me too. I mean, it was a real it was a real aggressive edit, and he came out defended himself, and it cost him one hundred seventy five thousand uh, dollars. But then when he went on All Star Shore, the reason he said he went on it was because being it a game show and there was prize money at hand, there were laws against manipulating the edit. So it could be that there is there already is a structure that might and I don't I'm not, you know, a lawyer here so I don't know, but it could be that there's a structure here for like I was on a game show and they had compliance officers. It was like to win 500 bucks. They take it real seriously when money's on the line. Uh when it's people's character on the line, they don't give a fuck, you know? They really don't. And they say in their contract as I'm sure you've read and you've heard like be prepared to be you know, humiliated, to experience public condemnation. Like they, they know what they're going to put some people through and they really don't seem to care. And all this talk about how they'll cover therapy or there's therapists on set. I mean, I haven't heard anything of that nature. And you're right. They have to be independent therapists because I've heard that there are psychologists on set that strictly advise producers like where to push people each day. And that I've got ethical concerns in terms of my profession. Like that's not allowed for psychologists to do. That's a whole different story, but right. People just need independent unbiased support. Yeah. And then the other thing we'll wrap up with is that you'll see people, you know, after they ask, well, why'd you sign up for it? They'll say, well, they shouldn't be casting people with mental health issues in the first place. And I think a lot of people don't have the issues or at least aren't exposed to them until they're put into this crazy situation. Yeah, exactly. I, I did a whole reel on this too, because my first point is just because you have a mental health issue doesn't mean you're like not allowed to do things, right. right? You're like allowed to get a good job. You're allowed to go do fun new experiences, even if you have anxiety, that's a piece of it. But yeah, most people say they were in a really good place and then the show pushed them past their mental limits and broke them down to the point where they were in a terrible mental space. So even if they have a history of it, like these shows pretty, I won't say intentionally, but effectively tear people apart psychologically and then do nothing to put them back together. Yeah. And when it comes to like with stand-up comedy, everyone says, oh, comedians are wild and crazy. They have all these dark thoughts. And I don't think so. I think they're just the ones sharing their thoughts. I think we all have issues, whether in, in mental issues that come in different varieties, but I think we all have struggles. And if we don't address them, they're just going to keep surfacing or boiling up at moments where you're in a fight with your spouse or you know all the or whatever other issues and i think like how like what kind of advice would you give for people about addressing these the concerns before they kind of uh, erupt i mean i'm a therapist i'm biased right i would say go to therapy get a great therapist who you feel comfortable and safe with um recognize that, right, all of us have problems. It is not a weakness to have any kind of mental health issue or certain psychological sensitivity. We're all works in progress. We're all trying our best. So just accept there are parts of you that could use a little improvement, but there always will be, and go get help for it. What a great way to end. Uh, your Instagram, so people can follow you, watch your reels, and possibly uh, come to your practice. Work yes, uh, Isabel Morley. Um, although I'll tell you, uh, somebody read aloud on some show uh, a thing from Jeremy Hartwell where he tagged me in it and they called me Drizabel Morley. And so now I feel like everyone has to call me Drizabel. Drizabel. So <laughs> 
<laughs> Very nice. Well, I hope uh, I hope we will continue for sure to to check out your social medias and all of the uh, uh, inner workings within the foundation and uh, exposing just the conditions. You know, just trying to clean things up. I think I think the show can do perfectly fine with some more attention being put on the uh, the uh, employees here. Uh, but thanks again so much for uh, chatting with me today, and uh, come back anytime. Great. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. And if you enjoyed this interview and other interviews like it, we've got more coming your way. And for those that have wondered, hey, how can I help out the channel and put some bread in the tip jar? You can join the Patreon, patreon.com slash Dave Neal, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash D-A-V-E-N-E-A-L. If you want to be a part of the premium membership only community, we uh, give you early access to these interviews, the video only versions and private live streams. And also, uh, don't forget, if you just want to support us here, you can share it with your friends. Take a photo of where you're listening, the dashboard, what you know, whatever you're doing. I heard we had some listeners, and, and this is true, I'm not even exaggerating, that listen to Bachelor Rush Hour while they are working at a nuclear test facility. Do I have that right? Or a nuclear reactor facility? Oh, we've got grad students and lawyers and therapists and moms. There's, there's somebody breastfeeding right now. Latch on, baby. Do what you got to do. Enjoy it. And we appreciate all your support. Uh, please have have as much fun as I plan on having this weekend. And I'll be back on Monday, live from Rhode Island. It's been Dave Neal. This is Bachelor Rush Hour. Hour.